Right. Um, first of all, thank you everyone for taking out some time from their busy schedule to, to, to join us today. Um, I've got two of my um, speakers with us. I've got Elizabeth Donnelly and Julian Coverite. And um, uh, first of all, I just wanted to kind of introduce both of my speakers. Um, Elizabeth is, first of all, one of the most inspirational women I've met <laughs> throughout my career. And uh, we've had amazing chats before this. So I thought uh, for our first episode of our podcast, Femgineers in, in Conversation, I think having her would be really apt. Um, so first of all, Elizabeth, I want to just introduce Elizabeth. Um, she has, um, by education as an engineer with a master's in systems engineering from the Open University. And um, obviously she's held several positions in, uh, you know, different companies such as Rolls-Royce and is now the CEO of the Women's Engineering Society. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I just want to kind of kickstart the conversation by really just asking you what kind of inspired you, you know, from your university days up till now to kind of, you know, um, pursue an, a career in engineering. Well, when I first went to university in the late 80s, I was doing a law degree uh, and I had very grand plans to be a social justice warrior and be a defence barrister. Um, <clears throat> and unfortunately, I failed trusts by 3%. When I retook it in my second year, I failed it by 4%. So I decided law was probably not the best path for me to take and ended up doing a lot of admin jobs. Um, but because my dad had brought home a ZX80, I think, or possibly a ZX81, which is the very first home computers where you had to use cassette tapes to load programs and oh, yeah, load coding basic on my TV. <laughs> um, I, I'd always been kind of interested in computing. And by the time um, I got a job at um, Oxford University Press in marketing, they were part of the first... Um, internet because they were part of the joint academic net network called Janet. So we were doing things like um, marketing and um, HTML, which I found very easy because mm -hmm. it was just like using WordPerfect. And for the older listeners, they may remember you would, it was like a word processing software and you would move a bit of text and discover that the bold or italic had disappeared. And then you did reveal codes and you could see these, what we now know as HTML tags, saying bold and end bold. Mm -hmm. So I kind of learned how to code HTML by mistake, if you like. Um, and then I ended up at, um, as a desktop publisher, as we call it then, at a commodities firm in Oxford, and they wanted somebody to install the internet and uh, email onto computers mm -hmm. uh, in 1996. And my stepdaughter, who was born in 93, said, well, why didn't those computers come with it already loaded? And I resisted the urge to discuss the Microsoft pools and then preloading computers with Internet Explorer. Um, but back then it wasn't a thing. And, and so I had to not only load the internet and email onto the system, but also teach people how to use it. So that was, and that's only really 30, well, less than 30 years ago. Um, and from there, I then worked for Canal Pharmaceutical um, as a, business information translator so I would go and talk to the tech people who were implementing the very first customer relation management system and I would be able to translate the business needs into tech and then the tech people would tell me what they needed in tech and I'd go back to business information and translate it into business information needs uh, and unfortunately the the pharma reps who were going out and recording conversations with doctors had got them on 
Excel spreadsheets and the six weeks that they were doing that unfortunately never got transferred over because it was never part of the requirements. And that taught me a big lesson about IT. So you always make sure your requirements are correct before you go to implementation. That role led to working for a company called Cinnabon, who um, had the world-leading um, pharmaceutical rep software. And I worked with them for a few years uh, before moving to Capita, where I installed large-scale databases um, in big um, local authorities. So you would pay your council tax by direct debit, and the programs that we were creating would acknowledge that, oh, I see that Jenna has paid her council tax and would delete that amount from your account. Uh, and then it would transfer the amount from the council tax account to the general uh, council account for to spend. Um, and that was, I really enjoyed that job actually, but I was living in Derby and the office was in Oldham. And there were two occasions when it really, um, I really realized that I was just driving for a living. There was one week when I had to drive down to Dartford and then Basingstoke, then up to Nosley near Liverpool, then up to North Tyneside. And I had to come back on the Thursday evening to Derby for an event. And then I had to drive again up to North East Tyneside and then back home. So I didn't get home until like eight o'clock on a Friday. And I thought, I'm just driving a car. And then the other time was I went to Oldham at six in the morning to finalise a product for Edinburgh. Um, that actually took all day because it hadn't been set up properly in the office. So I spent the whole day programming. And then I got in my car about five o'clock and drove up to Edinburgh only to be stopped by the police because the car I was in had dropped a headline. Um, and um, in fact, just before that, I'd, I was traveling up the M74 and it was closed and everyone was going up the A7, which if you know that road at the time was a single carriageway road. And it was all these HGVs and I thought, well, that's going to take me several hours. So I then drove across England to the northeast and drove up the country roads there where I got stopped by a police officer. Um, and it was about three o'clock in the morning by the time I got to Edinburgh. And then I got into this office and I took one look at their printers and said, somebody's going to do the wrong product because there was no way that their paying in books would fit the new printers. And that's when I thought, I'm going to quit this job because it was I wasn't doing enough coding uh, and engineering. Um, and in the middle of all this, I then um, decided to go to the Open University and transfer all of that law degree credit. Uh, so friends of mine were very involved with the Open University and said, you know, you could get a degree. And they had just launched a programme called the Certificate in Web Development. Um, and so... That kind of completed my second year and also made up a third of my third year, a quarter of my third year. And I then did databases, which I've been working in. Uh, and because I was really good at these things, I was getting distinctions. And also, even though I've got really bad marks in my law degree, they just transferred the credit and said, it doesn't matter. You just have to get the marks you get here will be the marks you get. And of course, I've chosen these really good things that I knew. And then I was introduced to systems thinking, which I thought was about computer systems. It actually is a subset of systems engineering and it changed my life because it was all about the relationship between people and stuff. And one of the examples we were given was um, the there was a big um, accident in Cornwall um, at Camelford where somebody came along to put water um, or um, no, so he came along to put some chemicals into this works and ended up putting it in the water system. And, and what we worked out was the errors were the water system wasn't marked as water. There was nobody present on the gate or where he was putting the, the chemical into the process. Uh, and there was no um, 
one of the things I love is you can get the, the UK three pin plug, it can only go into a plug one way. So there was no way, and this would have been a good idea if, if the hose from his lorry tanker wouldn't fit the water one, then he wouldn't have been able to pour it in. So this is the kind of systems engineering you can do to ensure that what you're doing is the correct thing. And so there were loads of mistakes and uh, and it was, the whole course was, in fact, um, the disaster was that these chemicals ended up in the water source for Camford and uh, killed off loads of wildlife and poisoned people. So this was absolutely awful. And it's the kind of thing that you think, well, we really ought to be able to prevent that. Uh, and I loved that whole topic and really got my teeth into it. Um, <clears throat> and um, while, while I was completing that, I was invited by the union at Rolls-Royce to come and work for them because I'd also been involved in politics. And they said, come and work for us and um, lobby government on behalf of us, uh, which I did very successfully, including getting three new factories built and 800 jobs uh, saved or created in Rolls-Royce. And then moved on to the aerospace and defence um, trade organisation where I was head of skills and I really loved that as well because it was about how do we get more engineers into aerospace because people weren't studying um, and I was aware that women weren't, weren't very well represented in engineering and I'd also been on the um, uh, the National Executive Committee of UNITE as one of the women offices. I've been a feminist all my life always standing up for women. Uh, I'm part of that unfortunate generation that matured in the 80s so we kind of thought feminism had been done by all the wonderful brilliant women in the 70s only to discover the 90s backlash with Lazette culture uh, and and you know we're still struggling today I think I was probably quite naive um, and then when I was made redundant from ADS I formed my own company to go and talk about change management mostly to charities but some universities and it was about going into charities and looking at their governance and at one organization I said well the building you own is worth millions of pounds because it's in central London, it's very beautiful and it's listed. And you have about 400 members and you're currently spending slightly more than you're generating an income. Uh, and you're digging into your reserves a little bit, which is fine, but in about 10 or 15 years, you're gonna have no money. And then these people will want to uh, close the society and sell the building. And right now, if you do that, they're gonna get a share. So there is an incentive for them to close the organisation to get a share of these millions of pounds. Uh, so we worked together to get a charitable incorporated organisation, which then stated that if you did dissolve the charity, it could only go to the nearest similar charity. Um, and this is, again, the systems thinking, the systems engineering, how do you solve a problem that might end up with unforeseen consequences or it might end up with weird incentives. Uh, and so as a result of this, I've been working with women and engineering and charities and so the Women's Engineering Society said would I like to come and um, run it. I'd, I'd interviewed for the role the year before but not got it and of course I leapt to the chance and I've been here four years and I absolutely love it. It's the best job I've ever had in my life and I'm really delighted. Thank you so much. Honestly, I can actually vouch for that because being part of the you know Women's Engineering Society for me throughout my career I've you know always been in outreach and kind of tried to encourage women 
you know, from a very, very young age, because that's when they kind of develop an interest in engineering or any kind of STEM subject. Um, you know, coming to that point, really, what we can see at the moment and the statistics, you know, it says that about 16.5 percent of women around the world, you know, are in an engineering um, career. Well, I, must, I must correct you there, Jen, it's only in the UK and in other countries, it's the highest percentage. So 16.5 yeah. percent of all engineers in the UK are women. Yes, and but uh, from what I also know that apparently the UK is one that has the one of the lowest, yeah. um, you know, and um, that's what kind of worries me, you know, because um, do you think there's 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 something that we can kind of do to to kind of encourage you know women from a very young age, or even girls, for example, at schools in like in, in part of their curriculum or part of the the framework at uh, at schools, um, is there a way that we can kind of push these young girls to to you know, pursue a career in engineering, do you think? Well, there are, there are many things we can do, um, and chief among them would be putting design and technology back on the national curriculum, which was removed about 10 years ago. So you'll find that young people um, under 30 didn't have design and technology, but nearly everybody between 30 and 50 did. And I think that that will encourage more girls and women. But at the Women's Engineering Society, we're so aware that engineering is not welcoming to women, that we would, we've decided to focus on making engineering much more um, appealing uh, and accepting of women in terms of, you know, things like PPE, mm -hmm. toilets, um, just generally being in the office and not being assumed to be the tea lady or the secretary or a marketing person. Um, that, because it, we could encourage lots and lots of girls and women to do engineering degrees and come into engineering only for them to leave because they don't like the environment. And then there's, I won't say stuck with an engineering degree, do many, many things with an engineering degree. And I love the fact that we've got women who have got engineering degrees who are not engineers because that brings that into the rest of the workforce. Uh, but I think that to be fair on, those coming up, what we should be doing is making engineering more appealing before we then do more outreach. Absolutely. And I feel like um, when it comes to young girls out there, again, you know, you've got those, um, like, you know, girls, for example, from disadvantaged backgrounds or, you know, you know, from the BAME community. For me, for example, if I didn't have that kind of push from from my family, because obviously coming from a family that had engineers and had doctors, you really think that, you know, um, there should be that kind of career guidance in place in schools, in colleges and in universities mm -hmm. to kind of push, push young girls. But I also have other friends who are really bright, but, you know, they didn't have that career guidance at school to kind of push them into, you know, like a degree in any kind of STEM subject. So again, as you said, I think it's, it's really important to make it appealing to, to organize these kind of, you know, talks to for women, you know, having those school visits and everything like that. Um, what I what I wanted to kind of ask you, because obviously you've been in, in the um in the, this field for so long now, again, being a very male dominant kind of environment. Um, is there anything that kind of inspired you to, to remain in the field? Because I know sometimes as women, we do, you know, feel, you know, quite uh, discouraged sometimes by the, um, by, by our environments or having like a lot of men, for example, you know, in a, in a work environment at the workplace, but is there anything that kind of inspires you on a day-to-day -day basis or, or how do you kind of, you know, deal with those kind of things? Well, it's, it's difficult for me, really, because two factors are important in my background. One, I've got three brothers, and we're all a year apart. So when my oldest brother was three and a half, my oldest brother was born. So I've always been in a very male-dominated culture. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was raised in the Catholic Church, which is very male dominated and doesn't still doesn't allow women as priests, for example. I remember asking to be an altar server and being told no because I was a girl. Um, and also when I entered the workforce in the 80s, um, late 80s, early 90s, it was really, to a certain extent, quite unusual for women to go to work at all. I remember my, well, my mum said, um, why do you want to go to university? Because you're only going to end up married with the children, which yeah. was A, not what I wanted, but also I was quite shocked that that was still a prevalent thought. Um, but she had been similarly raised um, and you know, she met my dad in the 60s when I was born, and, and that was the attitude that you left your job to go and be um, to raise a family. Um, I must say, by the way, my mum is amazing, she's one of my big role models. And um, even though she wasn't working, she became the chair of the council of churches in my local town. And I was stunned because A, she wasn't a priest, uh, and B, she was a woman. And I'm like, oh my god, women can do this, and it, it really. I mean, that really became a big role model thing. And then she went on to train as a psychotherapist. And even though she's very well retired because she's in her mid-70s, she still takes clients. So, you know, I don't want you to think that my mother is somebody who is encouraging me to stay home. But so so those things really, when I started work, were a case of um, you just got on with it because I wanted to have a career and I wanted to to work. Um, And I was used to men and I was used to being treated not so very well because I was a woman and I think it's not just about to have brothers it's the fact that I didn't have any sisters so I didn't kind of have any solidarity in that but what I have found amazing um having said all that is first of all we have a number of brilliant male allies and Wes actually has a men's allies award it's only about four years old and we see the, the most amazing things being done by men to support women. In particular, I'm thinking of Mark Wilde, who won a couple of years ago, who um, is the chief executive officer of Crossrail. And he came in, this is the Elizabeth line, he came in and immediately within 18 months um, had over half of his board and senior managers as women, which I think made a real difference. Um, and, and I've met so many men who have been have promoted me and helped me along the way um, and so although it's male dominated I think a lot of it is uh, because that's a happenstance you know back at the end of the first world war uh, women uh, were forced out of the engineering workforce just at the time as they were being encouraged to be MPs and lawyers and doctors and civil servants and this is why West was formed um, and so as a result engineering had hundreds of years, not hundreds, sorry, I've got a wasp in my room and I've got no idea where it's come from, it's just slightly disturbing. I don't mind, it's not going to buzz me, it's trying to get out, but um, I don't know where it's come from because all the windows are closed. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm a bit distracted. Um, if you can edit that out. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the, um, uh, so engineering has had at least 50 years behind in order to catch up. Uh, and I think some of these engineering firms are just not exposed enough to women as engineers in order to accept them and welcome them. Mm-hmm. And we found factors such as women have a great deal of choice when they go to university about what they're going to do. Are they going to go to English or history or languages or music or 
drama or engineering. Whereas with men, because they're very carefully funneled into STEM subjects, it's almost like a default, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do at university, I'll go and do engineering. Whereas with women, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do at engineering at university, I'll do English. Uh, and that's not to detract from English degrees either. Um, but there is this whole kind of funnel of putting men into. And what we find is that in engineering firms that are all about engineering, the proportion of women is about 10%. And we think that's because they don't generally employ women in other roles either. Where you find it firms that employ engineers but are not engineering firms, for example, uh, fast-moving consumer goods, so making crisps or food. Uh, for example, I went to the Leicester factory for walkers. Um, they've got more women engineers because they've got more women. You know, both on the line and in the offices. And I think it's a case of when HR come uh, hiring women engineers, they see a woman engineer and, and they don't think that that's a problem. So I think that's part of the aspect. Um, but we also know, because our job board has grown in terms of money over the last four years, I think we've tripled from when I first started with Wes. And we're hoping to see a bigger stage because we're launching a new job board soon as well. Um, and lots and lots of companies are aware that they need more women as engineers because there aren't enough engineers out there. So they can't just have men, they've got to have women as well. So I see lots of um, inspiration. I see also that women are doing really well. So when women do come into a company, they completely change um, its success. You know, we know that when you've got equal teams of men and women, you end up with uh, more, you know, more productive, more profitable. Uh, there was a thing that came up from McKinsey in the late 90s that said if you have a woman on your board, you're going to double your productivity and profitability. And at this point, I was literally surprised that the, the chair men at the time of the top 100 firms in the UK just didn't sack the, the most rubbish bloke and hire almost any woman. Uh, because I, I just thought, you know, that you know, if that's evidence, surely you would say, right, get rid of the rubbish bloke, let's have a woman and we'll be more productive didn't happen. And I think that reflects the inherent belief of a lot of men, or women, um, that women, uh, that either the study was flawed, or that women really can't make that much of a difference, or that even if they could, they don't particularly want it because it might mean that they would lose their position. Absolutely. And I feel like, um, you know, today with, you know, students at university, especially because obviously I'm, I'm speaking from like a very, you know, it's a very like personal experience for me because obviously we started off like me and Julia who is my next speaker actually which I hope I'm going to introduce um she has been you know again she by education is a biomedical engineer but um obviously she kind of had a shift in her kind of career and went into IT consultancy after a master's in computer science Julia thank you so much for joining us again um I just want to kind of ask you a bit more on obviously on a very personal basis um obviously you transitioned from biomedical engineering to IT and computer science what made you you know um make that kind of shift to to IT consultancy and and was there anything that inspired you to do that um right so um overall I guess when you choose the degree you want to go into it's um you're you're sort of you're young you have these expectations what you will be doing as an engineer to be fair even when I was choosing to study biomedical engineering for in the first place I remember uh telling my mom and she was like is that not such a manly field? Are you sure you want to go there? Because she imagined it being like, you know, this man working with electronics and she didn't see it as, 
as there is like place for for a female and I try I started sort of giving her more options what a female engineer can do you know it's not just like you're there in the in some sort of technical lab just like soldiering and that's it it's just such a wide field you can do so many things and you can definitely do this as as well as any male so the reason I've chose biomedical engineering in the first place is because I mean I loved biology but and maths so I guess just like for a front for the starters but I didn't want to go into this just like lab field of just purely biology you know just sort of working with proteins or something else I wanted to be more technical and I thought like wow biomedical engineering is my thing and the course was really interesting as you can tell because I mean you went through the same thing we had so many labs so many practical practical things um, it wasn't just biology it was computer engineering as well it was electronics it was robotics you know we had so many interesting projects and I would say every year I really enjoyed all of them starting from the first year when we created the the mini car robot to follow the the line then the second year with the group projects that we were doing our group was um, uh, creating the swallowing device and it was again really an interesting experience because we all it was four of us we had to delegate the uh, you know like the roles what we're doing how we're gonna you come up with the whole you know scenario what's our end game basically and and how we went there like step by step and then the final year project which i've chosen to do the oxygen saturation monitor individually again it was the whole experience i really enjoyed staying in the lab you know like trying to find starting from like ordering electrical components going like further how to connect them together, how to make it work, how to write a script, do the programming part to see the actual, you know, uh, result and then do the experiment, the, the biological experiment, you know, let's see how oxygen saturation affects uh, or is affected by different type of exercises. So that was really interesting. And I was expecting something like that when I graduate, you know, like a job that would, uh, that I would, you know, create, I would contribute directly because obviously that's how we felt at the university by creating some, some, you know, some project, but it felt like, you know, it could sort of contribute towards some bigger things. But then um, once I graduated, I started looking for, 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 for jobs and I realized that it's not as wide as I was expecting. Like it's either working more in a lab, which I didn't want to do in the first place. That's why I chose the biomedical engineering, not just biochemistry on or cellular biology or something like that so it was either more of a lab work either more of a sort of uh, you get asked to come to the hospitals and fix a specific device because you know electronics and and it's a medical device you're sort of like biomedical engineer um I mean obviously like that's the, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the starting positions and it was really hard to sort of get myself into something that I would be considered as a biomedical engineer and I would actually enjoy what I'm doing. So I realized that software part is more sort of, um, um, you have more future in that sort of field. And again, it can be medical, but it you can be a machine learning engineer. You can definitely sort of contribute to science, but it's more, again, it's a computer science field rather than biomedical engineering, rather than what we were studying for three years. So this whole transition, I mean, I realized that um, 
overall, even during the 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 the, the whole bachelor's degree, I I, I realized I really enjoyed the software part as well. Like I like programming and all of that. And um, I thought like, okay, um, I'm gonna try and 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 sort of uh, see maybe I can just combine it. Uh, together the biology and programming as I mentioned maybe you know like work with some software that is doing some medical stuff um uh, but then I realized that again these sort of positions requires normally like much more like much stronger programming background and uh to be fair my my one of my interviews that I went to was again for just software engineering uh, position but it was uh, nothing related to, to to medicine um I went to this interview I didn't get the software engineering job out there because obviously I was lacking some of the programming skills, whatever we were doing for, for, you know, for, um, for these projects, it wasn't as strong as anyone that would have, you know, been doing computer science or something like that. But the same recruiter that was interviewing me for the software engineering position, he thought that I would be still good for this other position at that same company. And that's how I got this first job. That was just like a miracle. I mean, I went to, to the one position and then I got something like electrical engineer, uh, project engineer, because they thought like, okay, I have these uh, good communication skills. I have this electronical background, engineering background overall. Um, and at that point, I was just, you know, I was just, I just needed a job. I was, I was searching for it for like two or three months. And I was like, okay, I'm happy to take and see myself in an industry first time in my life. Cause it's, it's really stressful. Like when you just graduate and you start looking and, and you, you realize that, you know, just, it's not as simple as you were expecting. So yeah, even though after graduating, I, I, I sort of gave myself a month to relax and just sort of after all that stressful dissertation part and stuff, when I start applying, I realized that, okay, it's like one month passed and I have so many interviews. I'm not, and not even the interviews. The problem was that I don't even know which field, field I can go to anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, I got this position. I was like, okay, I'm going to take it because um, I'm just going to see how I like it. What, what is it, you know, what, what I'm going to be doing? I wasn't even sure, to be fair. And I started more of a, it was a lot of like documentation work, like reading the schematics, but it was very sort of like, intro was really like sort of uh, easy, I would say. And then um, my my colleagues, they saw that I can do more. They saw that I, I am capable of doing more, that I am, you know, like I'm, I'm, I can, I, I want to do more as well because I was keep asking, okay, give me more responsibilities. I want to do this, that. So in a month time, I actually did the same stuff as my uh, fellow um, colleagues that were gradu- like graduates, electrical, electronical engineering graduates. I was doing the inspections towards the whole, uh, Elizabeth line creation that point we were working um it was basically this whole Elizabeth line uh underground project it was um it was sort of coming to an end but then the most important part that we had to do was to sort of check if all the earthing and bonding um connections and cables were aligning to the initial plan so uh that's what we were doing uh, it was a lot of you know like we were going on site checking checking the schematics writing the reports and it was like a lot of documentation and a lot of like electronic engineering and I remember my team, uh, basically my team manager, he was asking me like, you did biomedical engineering. It seems like such an interesting field. Like, 
how do you feel here? Do you like it here? I was like, well, overall, that's an interesting experience. Obviously, it's useful, but I feel like I, I probably want to go like a bit like a bit different direction again, more into at the end of the day, more into software and, and potentially into medical software one day. Um, uh, so yeah, and then uh, quarantine started. Um, I went back to my country because obviously we couldn't go on site anymore. Um, the project was stopped because we couldn't check the, the cables, anything uh, due to, to COVID. Um, and I decided that it's the best time to sort of uh, go into that computer software field. So I did a master's in computer science and I really enjoyed it. It was, well, again, it was mainly remote due to, due to, due to the COVID. Uh, but again, programming is, is different. I wouldn't imagine doing like biomedical engineering remote to be fair, but the computer science was, uh, was like, I, I really, really enjoyed the whole course. I really enjoyed programming. I got into it even more. I, I felt that, you know, like that's something that I'm, I'm actually interested in. And the first job that I got after graduating from my master's degree was um, data analyst in this hospital. So that was like, yay, that's something that I want to do. You know, I'm actually working as a data analyst and I'm analyzing this all uh, data that comes from hospitals that is related to, you know, to, to also so many different topics to obviously to cancer, to some like uh, maybe some also some analytical stuff for like hospital itself, like how many uh, job, like how, what's the workload for each of the doctors. Um, also uh, other contributions, I was working with these PhD students on their PhD topics, just sort of helping them out, applying machine learning. And I found it interesting, but again, I, I was lacking the actual like programming because data analysis and programming, it's um, it's not the same really. You, you, you basically, um, I mean, I was I was just lacking more of 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 like hands to hand, you know, like you're creating the actual script because rather than just sort of developing the statistical mod, mod, models, which does require like obviously programming knowledge, but it's not as deep, not as not as intense. Um, so then um, I sort of started applying for jobs again, and I got this position that I'm, I am at now as a software engineer. Finally, um, MRI software, which is again nothing related to medical stuff, but for me at this point right now, I feel like um, it's just everything comes together in life at some point. Um, I feel like the whole experience that I had so far, my bachelor's, my master's, my industry experience, brought me to where I am, and. And now I'm just, I just want to take the most of it. So the, the, like basically the main goal that I'm having now is to get into the software engineering experience, get to know all the aspects of, you know, like of a daily day-to-day -day task, how does it work? And then, I mean, you have so many doors open for you later on. Um, you can apply this knowledge in any other field and, I mean, I just feel like throughout like these curves, I am. I feel like I'm on the right path of where I want to be, and I'm actually enjoying what I'm doing now in my job. Like, I find it really interesting, and I still have this uh, sort of idea and that that in the future somehow the medical part of of me is gonna find me somehow. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs>
Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much. It sounds like a very um, kind of curvy journey, but you managed to kind of find, you know, something that you feel comfortable in working in. Again, um, obviously, with I'm pretty sure this relates to a lot of students out there. Um, is there anything that you kind of uh, advise, for example, to a student out there or to a young, you know, a young woman out there who's wanting to go into, you know, a career in engineering? Um, obviously, you have shifted now, but I feel like, is there anything that you think you universities or institutions can kind of do to push their students into um you know working in the stem sector for example and is there also anything that you think you know yourself what what kind of inspired you to remain in, in, in engineering is there anything that inspired you from like your background or anything that you could kind of advise to young women out there um right so even when i was at the university I was part of this uh, student ambassador team. Um, as you know, I was also, I think I was showing you around during the... Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> ...at the university. So to be fair, even at that, at that point, I felt like it's important to spread the, the importance of STEM, um, uh, basically opportunities in, 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 these, in, this, in this field. And... Uh, obviously especially for, for 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 girls because i mean it's just as as i mentioned at the beginning my when i told my parents that i want to be a biomedical engineer they just heard a word engineer and they thought like are you sure you sure you sure you want to go into that field it might be you know harder for 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 for, for a woman to be you know successful um and then the thing is that for me i just felt like i didn't really care i felt like i know what I want it just sort of I I liked the topic I, I I liked what what I like what I would do in that degree and I felt like you know what I just want to pursue there but obviously for a lot of girls out there I feel I feel like it there there needs to be more encouragement you know like because obviously like you have to be confident to start to kick start this career but then I mean from my personal experience at least so far, I was treated fair, quite fairly along with um, other fellow engineers. Obviously I was mainly like in our course, there are only a few girls, mainly guys. In the job area, same thing, uh, guys takes way larger percentage. That just shows that, um, yeah, the, this, this sort of word of women in engineer should be, you know, sort of broadcasted even more because um yes it's it's a, such an interesting field it's such an innovating field and it's definitely like it doesn't mean that if you're a girl you're you're not smart enough or you're i don't know what else not enough that's not true uh so yeah the so as i said when i was um at the university at the student ambassador team we had a few few sort of um uh, events as well. One of them was in Birmingham, when where we were sort of going and and representing the university and biomedical engineering course, sort of uh, talking to future students, telling them more. So I feel like these sort of events helps a lot, and especially yeah, they could be more like female oriented as well, like just like a friendly female talk as we're having now. I feel like it's really important, and it's just like for girls to feel comfortable feel that you know there's there are actually other examples out there that are happy with their career they you know they did they did it and it wasn't as stressful as it might seem like 
so I feel like, like these sort of things are really important in in you know encouraging the younger girls to 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 take this career if they if they want to yeah absolutely and I feel like kind of touching on that topic as well I remember when I was an ambassador at the university um I was also we also did this peer mentoring thing where we had like a, a, a group of us girls and I think there was Julia and a couple of more of the students and um we'd always have that kind of little bond that little you know community feeling that we had at university and I think that really helped us it helped me as well because obviously I started off very very shy and then we we went we had this little community it wasn't society as such but you just felt safe in a safe place where you could discuss any of your problems your feelings and how you felt about the university um i have um two of my mentees now who are now doing very very well once one's doing an internship um at a medical company the other one's doing a master at imperial college london and sometimes when you get those you know that feedback i think that's really it's really really nice to, to hear that you know young women out there are doing really well and um setting up that community feeling i think as well i think as elizabeth might might also be a touch on a bit more about this of you know the community feeling and how to you know I think with Wes for example Elizabeth I know that we have like a couple of conferences that you you usually have every year and um, again these little podcasts that we do you know the talks um, did you did you want to kind of touch on anything about this about the community feeling of you know just having um, just you know you know like elder women or you know younger women just everyone together in that kind of community and um i think yes definitely yeah um, one of the important factors about being a woman in engineering is that often you're on your own so even if you're in a university course and there are three other women on your course you've got three other women to talk to and then you might end up in a job where you're the only woman around and you think well is it just me or and sometimes it's well, mostly it's not just you, it's just because they haven't factored women in. So we have our clusters. Uh, so wherever you live, there should be a local cluster. And um, if you speak to our membership manager, Tristan Holland, he can always put you in touch with your local cluster. And they will have online meetings. Hopefully some of them are having more in-person meetings now. Um, within the universities, most of the universities have a university group. And as you know, the university group board is, is um, a group of women who represent those groups. So not only do the individual groups meet and you can talk to other women on your course, but also those leaders of that group then speak with other leaders of other university groups and they can say, do you have this issue at your university? And you can go, yes or no, we don't have that anymore because we overcame it. So it's a showing there. We also have our early career board, which encourages women at the beginning of their career to get together so that as you're just starting out, and it might be intimidating to ask your boss or even some of your colleagues, you know, you've got the BCB to talk to and say, how do I overcome this issue? I wish we didn't have to overcome quite so many issues, to be honest. Um, the student conference is actually going to be held um, at the end of the month at the Science Museum in Manchester. I'd love to see you all there. And um, this is another great opportunity because we're holding it in person as well as online for women to come together. And we've got some practical groups. Um, you're going to be building a bridge with um, the army, I believe. Um, so that's kind of practical ta task solving together. And that will help you to find women who you don't know. And I always say when I go to the conference, you are the future. You know, the friends you make here, you may not see again for months or even years. But in time, as you rise up the engineering industry, you'll say, oh, yeah, I remember I met you 10 years ago at the student conference. So you're going to be the leaders. And it'd be really good to get that networking. Because I think 
particularly as women, we do like to be able to talk about these issues because we are then in a position to seek solutions from other things. And that's one of the reasons why we're so good at engineering is because instead of keeping it to ourselves, we go and ask questions and seek solutions from others. And that, so I think that's important. Plus, we're going to be doing an annual conference in April, and we think that's going to be in Birmingham. And again, that's another opportunity for women to come together, hoping to do it in person. For those of you who are members, uh, we have our annual general meeting this Saturday at 10.30 at Cormac Hall in central London. So it'd be lovely to see you there as well. And that's again an opportunity to meet up, not just with students, but with other members of ways, whether they're um, really senior career uh, women. For example, our president, John Giles, will be there. She's the chief executive officer of Pure Data Global Operations. Uh, so she runs a team that's completely global. You know, from Indonesia to America, and apparently one week in three they run on different time zones, just to keep up with everybody. Uh, and it's, so it's an opportunity to meet you know other members of all ages and from all parts of the country. And I really encourage women engineers to come together because that is where you make your friends and you can talk about your issues, but also celebrate your successes. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. We are um, nearing, you know, the, the end of this podcast today. Um, I'd obviously thank, I'd like to thank both of you and everyone here for their time. Um, we do have another kind of 10 minutes or so. So I'm just going to stop this um, recording now for